a.k.a. responsible, proper, social distance shit-talking from spare bedrooms across exurban Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heathens Podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Don. I'm Jeff. And I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism or pandemics or super spreader events at the White House or White House <laughs> propaganda videos really close to triumph of the will or homegrown terrorists threatening to kidnap Democratic governors or senators saying we're not a democracy or aggrieved losers whining about not wearing a mask. Definitely not here to preach to the atheist <laughs> choir, but to critique, ridicule, and poke fun at anyone, especially ourselves and everybody mentioned prior. Whoa, that was a loaded baked potato right there. I think we know what's on Jerry's mind. (laughs) (laughs) So please join us or continue to listen as we examine the crossroads of politics and religion from the secular perspective. And remember, don't believe everything or anything you hear in this podcast or anywhere else for that matter until you've independently verified it for yourself. In other words, duck, duck, go that shit. Episode 77. (laughs) Say it with more feeling. Yeah. <laughs> Double sevens. I have, I've got nothing for 77. So here's what's on our minds for this week. What's the difference between white supremacy or white Christian nationalism, and why should we care? COVID is a blessing from God. Two guesses who said this. First guess doesn't count. We're recording this 26 days before the election. Vote like your democracy depends on it, but try not to make yourself crazy about it too, which is difficult. And do not pay attention to the polls. They will make you crazy and they are pointless. And do not watch on election night. Yeah, I was just about to say, do not expect a decision election night before you go to bed. Nope. Hmm. I heard some liquid pouring, so who's, uh, who's first? I'm drinking, fitting for this podcast. A moment of truth. Mm. <laughs> Experimental double New England IPA from one of the favorite uh, breweries of the Godless Heathens, Monday night here in Atlanta. Yep. This is a collab, as the kids would say, between Rheingeist Brewery in Cincinnati and uh, Monday night, because mm. I looked it up on Monday night's site. It benefits an organization called Paw Kids. And I was like, what is Paw Kids? Paw Kids' mission is to provide families with various resources that will empower and encourage them while promoting Christian values, building stronger communities, and developing self-sufficiency. What? Our vision is to demonstrate Christian principles through providing community support and developmental activities which uphold moral excellence and build self-confidence. So there you go. And you found this out before or after you bought the beer? Uh, well after. Okay. Because it is it is a fabulous beer. Oh, man. If you took out the Christian values and Christian principles, I'd be down with everything that they say, although I'm a little confused by moral excellence. What is moral excellence? It's relative, I'm sure. 
Well, it can't be. If it's excellent, it can't be relative, right? It's got to be defined if it's excellent. Whatever this says in the Bible, that's excellent. Uh, even outside the Bible, moral excellence would mean without the Christian principles. You'd be down with pretty much everything they said. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I'm just saying it's moral excellence to one person may be right. not moral excellence to the next person. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, they are saying it like it is some defined thing. That almost sounds like a presupposition, presuppositionalist kind of thing. But I thought you said pause, like P-A-W-S. Yeah, it is. I was thinking like animals. Yeah, you thought it was an animal organization, right? Well, I knew it wasn't like paw, like ma and paw. So I, I figured it had to be P-A-W for like a no-kill shelter or something along those lines. Yeah, it wasn't. What was funny is I heard Abby barking in the background right when you were saying that. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, oh, wow, that's clever how we did that. Like, somebody say pause? <laughs> we do a lot of rundown planning at the Godless Heathens. And Abby, you're on. Bark. <laughs> well, this is her hour of barking power because yeah. everyone's walking their dogs and she wants to let them know every night that she hates them. <laughs> <laughs> So Monday night would be an accommodator in the white Christian nationalism definition. Well, they're accommodating my need for a really good IPA. They so are kicking it. for it. Well, right around the corner from them is a brewery that I'm starting to like because of their diversity there is Firemaker. And what I'm having from them tonight is an ESB, which is extra strong bitter, is called Equality and Solidarity Beer is the title of it quite good. It's a 4.8, so I, I should be able to stay mainly on focus tonight, but we'll see. Not making any promises. No. <laughs> I'm having, I know I've had this one on here before. This is one of my go-tos. This is probably, keeping with the theme from last episode, the dark theme, this is probably one of the darkest wines that I get. This is Gnarly Head Authentic Black. It is excellent. I really, really like it. It's It's strong, bold, and one of the darker of the red blends that I've ever had. Definitely a go-to. Very quick housekeeping. Give us a five-star rating. Tweeted us to at Godless Podcast like the guy right before we got here from Australia. Hope you're listening to the pod. Welcome to the show. Our private Facebook group. Mm. <laughs> or drop us an email at godlessheathens oh. at yahoo.com. I know you don't have a soul, but it hurts your soul to say that, doesn't it? <laughs> I, you know what? I have a soul, but my soul dies with me. Ah. Okay. I have no spiritual connection to my soul. Ah. All right, Jeff, you're reading a book. Normally, this is the end of the show. Right. Well, it's still going to be my recommendation, but I think it's going to encourage more people to maybe want to pick it up. But maybe not. So during last week's debate between Trump and Biden, one of the things that kind of piqued my interest, and I'm sure... Uh, some other people's, was when Trump was asked if he would repudiate white supremacy. He scrambled around, scrambled around, and then asked for a name. Why? I don't, I don't know it re would require a name to do that, but that's what happened. And so he was then, trying to wheeze a lot of it. That was interesting. He's like, what do you want to call it? What do you mean? It was Joe that said Proud Boys. It was funny because later, like the next day, he said... I don't know who the Proud Boys are. I've yeah. never heard of them, blah, blah, blah. So he just basically repudiated a group he had no idea about, knew nothing about. Allegedly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And none of the Republicans on Capitol Hill ever read his stupid tweets. Oh, no. And by the way, not enough credit is given to Biden. A little bit of a velvet shiv. Give me a name. And he's like, ah, I'll give you a name right here. Yeah, there you and go. And he took the bait. <laughs> yep. But the thing that was interesting about that is Proud Boys don't call themselves a white supremacist 
supremacist group. So obviously they would make a disclaimer right away that, well, they don't mean us because that's not, you know, we're not white supremacists. So that's kind of the, to me, the kind of danger that we do is when we try to categorize a lot of these things as white supremacist movements or even militia movements without looking at the bigger picture that kind of connects them together. We say that 81% or whatever of white evangelicals voted for Trump. Well, white evangelicals only make up 25% of our voting population. So where did the others come from? They are also white Christian nationalists. They may not consider themselves that, but by definition, they would. So this book that I've been reading called Taking America Back for God, subtitled Christian Nationalism in the United States. It's by Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry. They did an interview on, um, what's the Dan Barker organization? Freedom from Religion Foundation. Freedom from Religion Foundation. They have a YouTube, and then I think they also have a regular podcast, and they interviewed them. We should put a link on that. We also will put a link to this Baylor study that this book is primarily centered on. And that study was from 2017? 2017. The title of it, you can find it on the internet, but we'll put a link. It's called American Values, Mental Health, and Using Technology in the Age of Trump. So it covers quite a few things, but embedded in there were quite a few things that stood out that explain a lot. First, I'm going to define how they define Christian nationalism, and then we can kind of back into some other interesting things in here. So at its heart, Christian nationalism demands that we preserve a particular kind of social order, an order in which everyone, Christians and non-Christians, native-born and immigrants, white and minorities, men and women, recognize their proper place in society. So you could probably see where a lot of that would fit under evangelicals, but also under Trump. Yeah, that thing just took a sharp right-hand turn there. Everybody knows their place. Yeah, and that hierarchical kind of structure, what made me think of that, and I don't want to go off too many tangents, but the Confederacy, you know, during the Civil War, that's why they split off, because they believed in this certain hierarchy. White wealthy men were dominant, and they ruled over women, who ruled over children, who ruled over the slaves. So they had that certain structure, and God was at the top of that. Well, it was God that set the whole thing up. Right, yeah. And they had God in their constitution, so it was definitely a Christian nation. But Christian nationalism includes nativism. So in other words, people and what they mean by that is is people that were first here that came over from Europe, not uh, American natives. All right, I was wondering. It also includes white supremacy. That's a subcategory. Patriarchy, heteronormativity. They believe in, in a divine uh, sanction by God, and they also believe in militarism. So talking about Proud Boys, they're kind of a militaristic group. Yeah. The group in Michigan, which we'll probably talk about at some point, they fall under many of these categories. So they, by definition meet several of these, but they're Christian nationalists by definition. But the thing is, none of these groups, practically none of them, even call themselves white supremacists or, or white, white nationalists, for that matter. I think some ease into it more on white nationalism or white pride. To some extent, isn't some of that just given where they call themselves a militia group, but you kind of know what you're getting yourself into if you join that type of a group? And have you seen very many people of color in these militia groups? Who do they tend to be? And do they drive Priuses? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, stereotyping there. When you see the Trump parades with all these big trucks with flags on the back. I just had this vision of militias pulling Priuses out of the mud all weekend long. <laughs> <laughs> 
but they don't call themselves that. And the lack of racial diversity, they're, they're certainly not alone in it. They, they're not sitting around thinking, we really need to diversify. Right. We need, we need more women on the militia board. Exactly. We need some people of color to join the old militia here. Looking too white. I don't think they have a marketing plan per se. <laughs> Yeah. I think some of them do. So the Proud Boys, when they counter protest. Troll, basically. Yeah. Yeah. When we had the Black Lives Matter ones and, and they claimed they were going after Antifa, we found out they were going after a whole lot more than that. They're basically going after democracy as de- defined by the Democrats because they see that as unraveling all of the things that they want in a Christian, in quotes, nation. Yeah. Things have been a certain way for a long time and they're trying to keep the status quo. Right. And and so that makes, you know, the sense on the, the Michigan militia that's going after a Democrat governor there because she's wanting to take things away from their belief system of a hierarchical structure with white men in charge. So she and the Democrat Party are threatening that standing. So I guess what I'm saying is they're not going to call themselves white supremacists because they believe in a larger thing than that. They want to take America back. That's a piece of it that, you know, whites are authoritative. They wouldn't call it supreme, probably. They call it authoritative over the rest of the world. So if I want to touch on in the book here, one of the first surveys they looked at that was in that Baylor study is they had four questions. Is America currently and has it always been a Christian nation? So and then the other one was uh, America was but is no longer a Christian nation. And then the third question, America has never been a Christian nation. So 26.2% in this national survey said America currently is and always has been a Christian nation. Now that number, the 26.2, kind of parallels white evangelicals, oddly. But then it expands out. So the people that said it was but no longer is, that's 32.2%. So a third of the people say that it used to be a Christian nation, but we've lost our way. Right. And a quarter said it was and is. Okay. And how many said that it never was? Uh, You got 20% that say it never was. So only 20% got it right. Right, yeah, that it was a secular nation. So that's what I'm saying is is, there's there's a little bit more to Christian nationalism than... But you haven't tied the Christian part of this, though. Okay, yeah. Like the Proud Boys, they may or may not be Christian. All right, okay. So let let me just read this from the book that kind of puts that in perspective. I mean, the thing I read earlier... Is a piece of that, but it says, simply put, Christian nationalism is a cultural framework, a collection of myths, traditions, symbols, narratives, and value systems that idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. But the Christianity, in quotations, of Christian nationalism is of a particular sort. We do not mean Christianity here as a general meta-category, including all expressions of Orthodox Christian theology, nor will we assume terms such as evangelicalism or white conservative Protestantism as synonyms for Christian nationalism. On the contrary, the Christianity of Christian nationalism represents something more than religion. As we will show, it it includes assumptions of nativism. No, they will not show, because you're not going to read the whole book. <laughs> I'm not, but 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 that my my point is they're using Christianity in quotations because it's just like when you have cultural Jews or cultural Catholics or there's a lot of people that on a survey even though they don't go to church 
They might not even believe in God. They still kind of celebrate the Christian traditions. They still think that there's something inherently good about categorizing yourself a member of that group. Right. That you can't be good unless you're a member of the group or right. ad- ad- adhere to the beliefs of the group. Yeah, and, and here's a survey that really highlights that. So they ask okay. a series of different questions. So like one of them is the federal government should allow the display of religious symbols in public places. Okay. 60% either agreed or strongly agreed with that. 60%. The federal government should allow prayer in public schools. 65% of Americans. Yeah, but that same 65%, if they lived in, what's, what's the town in Michigan that's got like the highest per capita Muslim? Dearborn. So if, if Dearborn, Michigan started putting up displays around Ramadan of, of the crescent moon, this same 65% that talks about that government should be able to display religious symbolism would be absolutely appalled. That's my point is, you know, when we're saying uh, they should allow public prayer in schools, they mean Christian public prayer because that's the cultural identity that they have. That's, as Rumsfeld would say, a known known. But the Christian nationalism part, I don't see people outside of Christians adopting that. Like none of the examples have have said, oh, that's why the, the Proud Boys are an example of Christian nationalism. They may share a lot of beliefs, but they don't see themselves as Christians. Why is Christian in quotes an umbrella for white nationalism or junior fascism? Because that's where those moralities, those ethics flowed out of. Still not seeing the Proud Boys on that, though. I think if you interviewed Proud Boys individually, you would find that most of them, although they may not necessarily go to church on a regular basis or even strongly believe in God or Jesus or any of that, they have a cultural connection to Christianity. Well, and that was kind of my example with the Sturgis biker rally that had so many, uh, you know, probably the majority there were Trumpers. You know, if you yes. saw the interviews and you saw the Trump signs and all that, would they be people that would show up to church every day? Probably not. But would they be somebody that would say they believed in God in some form or fashion? Yeah. Most likely. You know, most of those aren't going to say, no, I'm an atheist. They'd be the type of people that are absolutely against Sharia law, but think that our law should be based upon the Bible. So it's back to that cultural kind of identity that America was a Christian nation, and the real hardcore ones, like the evangelicals say it still is, but it's that identity with those ethics and that morality that they're using, like with the, the Proud Boys. Yes, they definitely, by their actions, if they're, if they're protesting at Black Lives Matter rallies, they're definitely supremacists in some form or fashion. They also have some kind of thing where they don't masturbate. So there's some kind of a Whoa. patriarchal kind of piece of that also. Wait a second. Back up. You buried the leak. Yeah. Proud Boys don't masturbate? Well, they claim they don't. <laughs> I see what their issue is. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're so angry. Throw the Proud Boys out for a second. I think it's more about being white. I, I, don't, I, I guess I still don't see the Christian connection. I know, because you're using Christian as a religion. That's what it is. Yeah, but it's also, I don't know what the proper term would be, but it's more than just a religion. It's It transcends religion to some extent in society. It's an identity. Yeah, right. Do they call themselves that? Doesn't matter what they call themselves. So, so no, so no. But that's where they pull that belief from. Which belief? They still hold to the fact that 
Christianity equals good and anything other than Christianity equals bad. If, if you're a different, mm. if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim, if you're atheist, if you're Sikh, what, it's, you're not Christian, you're not one of us, you're something else, I'm good, you're bad. Yeah, the other piece of this is these kind of things, you know, the nativism, the supremacy, the patriarchy, sexual normativity, all that stuff, the militarism, you can find in the Bible. So, you know, even though they probably wouldn't know where to look in the Bible to say that, they know somewhere back in time that these things were the morals of the country because it was a godly country back in the day or whatever. These things kind of came out of Christianity in some form or fashion, or Christianity was used to support them. You could probably argue either way. Yeah, they may not necessarily believe with the tenets of the religion or believe that the religion is factually correct in, in its history, but they believe that it's inherently good or it's inherently a force for good in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, the other the other thing I, I was going to point out in this book that I found interesting, and then you know, we can take this where, where we want, is they broke it down into four categories of Christian nationalists. Okay. Category one, what they call the ambassadors, makes up about 19.8% of the national survey. Ambassadors are the hardcore you know, probably more like the evangelicals where they believe it was, you know, that America was and still is a Christian nation and they're going to fight for all of those kind of things that that means. A white Christian nation. Right, right. Yeah. So this I mean, would yeah. be like your Richard Spencer's of the world. Well, but this would also be the Robert Jeffers. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, he would definitely be an ambassador. Now, they're going to claim that they're not white supremacists, but they're motivations, you know, and their belief system kind of points that direction. They're anti-immigration. Their words say one thing, but their actions give them away. Right. And these are the same people that say that blue lives matter, not black lives matter. So there's some white supremacy kind of built into that. Then a 32.1% uh, are accommodators. So you got a total of about 52% of the country Accommodators mean people that aren't hardcore ambassadors, but they go along with the structure. So that would probably be the, the bikers. They would probably be accommodators, not hardcore ambassadors. They wouldn't be upset if the 20% got their way. Oh, no. They want Trump to get his way, which puts all those pieces of white nationalism into place, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not out there knocking on doors to convert people and all that kind of stuff. So they're accommodators. And then on the other side, in other words, the ones that, that aren't for a Christian nation, you have the rejectors, which would be us, that, you know, that say that America never was a Christian nation, shouldn't be a Christian nation. That's 21.5% of the population. We need a more positive name than rejectors. Well, I didn't come up with that. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. And then re resistors, and these are the people that kind of like the mirror of the accommodators. In okay. other words, they're resisting that move, but they're not hardcore. This is wrong. We can't go there. They're not stepping up and saying anything. So, yeah. So where it breaks down is the nationalists, which are accommodators and ambassadors, are like 52% of the country mm -hmm. and 48% are on the other side. So you know, talk about a cultural divide. That's a pretty clear one right there. All right, Jerry's got nothing to say. <laughs> he fell asleep. I'm not getting it. Maybe it's because the white part and the way it was part doesn't necessarily connect to Christian to me. Some of them are. Maybe a lot of them are. Maybe they would be accommodating if somehow white Christians came to the 
devastating power that they would want to rule with. Well, we're about there. I mean, we, yeah. we are there now, basically under Trump. I think we're about 26 days away from finding out if we're staying there. Right. And going full on. In other words, yeah. you know, democracy is over and we're going the other direction. Where, where I would paint a picture of it is I remember growing up in eastern Iowa and everything. It was you were just like swimming in Christianity. In other words, you were a fish swimming in it. So you didn't know what it was. You know what I'm saying? You didn't know any other kind of you didn't know anybody else from another religion. Same thing with the whiteness. I I grew up that way. Yeah. I, I totally grew up that way. Right. And so more that's the, that's... more the Christian, more more like just about everybody in my orbit was Catholic. Yeah. If somebody said, oh, the, the Joneses, they're not Catholic, you'd be like, oh, what the hell are they? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, but you were white and you were Christian. And I'm, I'm saying that's kind of the, the water that we swam in. And so everything, you know, politics, and I mean, we were too young to really understand about politics and stuff, but things that flowed out of that for our, mom, our parents was kind of based in that structure. And you probably thought the entire country was like Eastern Iowa. Yes. It was all like that. Yep. You go anywhere in the country and, and you'd be swimming in the same waters. Yeah. And so white nationalists kind of have that picture and think it goes all the way back to our founding fathers. Part of that was probably true. Most of the people that came over probably were some kind of Christian. You know, I don't think you had a whole lot of Muslims, a whole lot of Jewish people. In fact, you know, Catholics were in minority for quite some time. Well, that's who they were ru running away from was the Catholic Church. Right. Right. Because that's who was oppressing the the minority religions. And that's why a lot of them, you know, the Puritans and the Quakers and all of them came here was to escape persecution from the Catholics in Europe. So does, does that make any more sense, Jerry, that it, it's more of a cultural normalcy, I guess. That's what any of the morals that we held, at, you know, when we were growing up or our parents influenced on us were kind of flowing out of a Christian soup for lack of a better word. Hmm. Some places, now you go into the South, you know, like when we moved here, we found there's a whole different structure of what Christianity meant. Oh, yeah. We didn't have at that time, there are now, but in Iowa or even in Wisconsin, evangelicalism was really off the rate. We didn't have Southern Baptists, for example. Everything got turned up when you moved down here, got intensified. Yeah, I mean, and that's where, what the hell? You know, and then <laughs> and then you go to Stone Mountain, and that's the normal here. Yeah. And, and you find out that there's racism still alive. You know, back in our world, we didn't really deal with racism. So we assume once, once you know, the civil rights movement was over, that, you know, that was all put to bed. We didn't see the riots. But that was because you lived in Iowa, which has got to be one of the whitest states, you know, particularly back then. Yeah. Isn't it the pinkest state? Because it's got more pigs than humans. <laughs> yeah, that's way true. Yeah. So my experience was different from the racial side, not from the religious side. Yours was more right. racially diverse growing up in Detroit. For sure. But still mostly Catholics. In a very segregated city. Oh, yeah. Right. And so that brings up an interesting point. So did you ever question that? It's like, where do black people go to church? Why are people in, sitting in the pews here predominantly white? Because, you know, when we moved here to the South, we knew it was a lot more diverse. Yeah. Yet the churches we went to, we went to what we went to in our northern states. We went to the Presbyterian church, the um, Lutheran church, predominantly, you know, like 99% white. And we're going, what's up with that? You know, that didn't make sense to us, even though Martin Luther King Jr. said that's the most, you know, the most... Most racially segregated hour of, of the week. Yeah. So that's part of that white Christian nationalism 
as well on a, on a level. Growing up in Detroit, did you believe that the African-Americans were just going to a Catholic church in a different parish? Uh, no. Or you did you real or did you know that they were not Catholic? Um, I'm assuming that they weren't. I I don't know what the breakdown of black Catholics is for Detroit and you know in the 70s. Probably more there than down here. That's regional. You have more Catholics the further north you go. You have more Protestants the further south you go. But definitely there was a huge white. It was a mega church probably before mega churches were a thing. It was called Temple Baptist. And it was a big, big church. And my bus would drive by it every day. You just shake your head. <laughs> it's a big church. Who yeah. goes there? Yeah. And she's like, oh, you know, my mom would be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. They go there. And I was like, oh, so they're not Catholic, huh? And then that would be the end of it. Yeah. Now, that church, Temple Baptist, did the Detroit thing and said, ah, Neighborhood's getting a little black. We're going out. Moving out a few miles. Yep. And now it is a large black Christian church and has been for a while. I I don't, the the Christian nationalism part, the, the nationalism scares me. Yeah. The white supremacy scares me. The violence scares me. The not wanting, quote, regular order, or if a, a Democrat's in power, that they're evil and they need to be fought like they are they are literally an enemy. All of those things concern me more than the Christian part. Is that wrong for an atheist? No, because it doesn't seem to be the main pillar of how they identify themselves. But it's the base of it. It's kind of cooked in there. It's it's definitely in the sauce, but it's not like the main ingredient. Right. It, yeah, it's it's the but it's the base where everything kind of flows out of, whether it's acknowledged or not. Along that line, I want to point to, if you guys have that Baylor survey on yeah. page 14, because right. this kind of underscores a little bit what we're talking about here too. Figure 11, the survey was who wants to limit freedom? And so this was what was kind of interesting to me is evangelicals, when asked that, 52.5 on the survey say that Muslims want to limit freedom. Dang. Where? That's a, but we're not number one? Yeah. Uh, we're... We're slipping. We're number slipping two. big time. <laughs> yeah. We're number two. Ah. 46.4. We're like Avis. We try harder. So we're That's almost right. there. <laughs> but here's the thing that frightened me or surprised me is mainline Christians, you know, which are supposed to be the social gospel type Christians. Yeah. Okay, so it drops down as far as who wants to limit their freedom. So Muslims were 28.9, but we're, again, slightly below that, 25%. But at least they saw evangelicals as a larger threat than us, 40.7. Don, we're close to being kicked off the podium. We need to step up our game. We do. We got to scare some evangelicals and some mainlines. We've lost our edge. Yep. Oh, but you know what? Black Protestants think we're the worst, though. Oh, yes. do they? Yeah, just going to go That hurts. Yep. Yeah, that that yeah. hurts. There are probably quite a few black Americans that are Muslim, so they don't see them. In the negative light that they see atheists. Like, yeah, like the evangelicals or the mainliners do. And again, wide brush. Aren't statistically blacks more religious than whites mm-hmm. overall? Yes. I know black I know black women more Christian. They're are more like Christian, the that's for sure. Most, yeah, the most Christian group. Ever, you know, in, in America is is uh, black women more more than black men, more than more than any other category. So by definition, they're not going to be cut part of white Christian nationalism. No, I don't see blacks 
joining into a movement that one of their pillars is minorities know their place. You know what I mean? For sure. That could be a hard sell. Yeah. But yeah, there's, still, <laughs> <laughs> there's still some gray area, though, and that was pointed out in the book as well. They didn't mention his name, but what I thought about was William Barber. Okay. The favored evangelical preacher of the gods of heathens. Definitely, definitely. He could come on if he wants to. Open invitation. And same thing with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., and that was kind of pointed out in the book, is he kind of had a connection to a Christian nation and used that in his Bible quotations and all that kind of stuff. So he would have been probably uh, more in a resistor category if you're going to use one of those. So they're still not hardcore against the things, the definition, but it's it's a whole different category. I'm not thre- I'm not threatened by them though. Right, right, exactly. They're not the ones showing up at progressive events or Black Lives Matter marches in full camo with semi-automatic weapons and 500 rounds on them. You didn't see uh, the picture of William Barber with the AK-47 <laughs> and the bandoleros? Yeah. <laughs> Saying, come and get this. So this is kind of making my point why it's, to me, beneficial to look at this larger umbrella and then the breakdowns as far as ambassadors and accommodators, okay? So the Proud Boys and the militia group in in Michigan, and we can name off a bunch more, those are definitely ambassadors of nationalism. Christian in quotation, but nationalism. Trump and the GOP can be seen as accommodators. In other words... Good example in Michigan when those guys, the militia, showed up. Not not all of them. Oh, right, right, but enough. but enough of them are accommodators. Yeah. To maintain power, right. and they are cozy enough with them to help them get what they want. Yep. Because he makes fun of all those people behind their back. Yeah. You know, and then he comes out and says that getting COVID was a blessing from God. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I would have liked to have seen? I would have liked to have, and maybe there was. There were these interviews, and I just missed them. But you know how uh, Jordan Klepper yeah. uh, from Comedy Central goes to these rallies and oh, yeah. basically just allows people to impale themselves on their own words? <laughs> Here's some rope. What would you like to do with it? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. You'll manage to find the tree yourself. You are um, TV gold all by yourself, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> but I would like to have heard from semi-literate Christian supporters that when he said it was a blessing from God to see what they would say. I have a hard time believing that somebody halfway normal would find that statement at all credible. Am I about to be disappointed? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure they, on some la- level, either they believe it or they want to believe it. And and the way that Trump played that whole weekend away makes them think it was a miracle. Yeah, he's playing it off like he caught it on purpose to show everybody that there's nothing to be afraid of. Right, but do you think they believe that? Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I do. You have some you fans of his that believe that he is the one person that is trying to stop a international pedophile child trafficking ring run by that, the Democrats. That, right. That is an unfortunately growing subset. So the fact that certain people believe him when he kind of plays it off to the fact that he caught it on purpose to, to show that it wasn't as bad. I believe that there are some people that buy that. Well, yeah, because the only other option would be that Satan 
and gave it to him. If he would have died, Satan would have done it. Yeah. Right. The fact that they didn't follow procedures and they got what they deserved to some extent is not an option on the table for those people. Wait, the what? That they basically flaunted health regulations and did an event. They had a buffet dinner and all these people that were that, that showed up for the, even though the event was outside, nobody wore a mask, everybody no. was hugging each other, and the food was a buffet style. That was in New Jersey. I thought that was the actual Amy Comey Barrett. No, those are two different things. So, but the one for uh, Amy or like whatever I said, name is. don't believe everything you hear. But that was inside and outside. They showed right. pictures. Yes, that, you well, know, yeah, most that, of that, that. that was both. Right, right, exactly. Okay, so, so it's Thursday, and this isn't going to drop until Sunday. Yeah. When this pod drops, yes or no, Mike Pence will have been announced being positive. Yes. Oh yeah, I have no. Doubt. Oh, so both of you, like, you don't even have to think about it. You think this is a given. No, if you look at where he was in all these different events that Trump had. Yeah, I hope Kamala is getting tested today. Because I don't think that piece of plexiglass did shit during the debate the other night. That was window dressing at best. That that piece of plexiglass did nothing. Virology theater. Yes. And here's the other thing. is is So there has been a little bit of studies that show that dogs can sense people that have COVID. I was just thinking somebody should test that fly to see if it's positive or not. I'm thinking okay. the fly. No, the no. fly. We're saying no. right here, right here. No, I'm not. I'm not buying the dog thing, and this is the only time I will. I will speak badly of my mom, but Uh-oh. that is something my mom would say because my mom thinks that dogs are way smarter than dogs really are. Oh yeah, she she attributes uh, everything that a dog does to a dog being a genius. You are going to have to prove somehow oh, that no. dogs have this canine sense of somebody who has COVID because otherwise. Yeah. Uh-uh. Hey, Mom, your genius is licking his ass. <laughs> <laughs> he must have the COVID in there. Anyway, I mean, that's that is to get back. My, my overall point is that Christian nationalism, you know, we, we point at people to say, you know, the militia, they're a danger to America. They are. The Proud Boy. Well, the, and yes, definitely. They're a serious Both danger to America. Yep. But the accommodation of these groups is, to me, equally dangerous. More so. All right. Yeah. So the last last couple of nights in New York, Orthodox Jews yes, have been burning masks. You can't tell me how many people can attend the synagogue. Kind of riot. Yeah. And they beat journalists. And basically, you don't see a lot of videos of cops cracking these guys' head no. or taking them to jail. So the next day they came out. And basically, it was like a fuck you rally where it wasn't as violent, but it was still, we're not following your laws. Yeah. So that's not white Christian nationalism. That's just religious zealotry. Is that what we should be talking about more than pinning all of this on white Christians? The only problem is I don't see Jews and Muslims showing up at the state capitol with AK-47s in mass. Not in Michigan, but... You can't deny that there are definitely different rules and they skirt the boundaries of a lot of, maybe not a lot of laws, but particularly the hardcore Orthodox Jews basically kind of cluster together and they rule the local government. Yeah. So there is no Muslim equivalent, no matter what anybody says about Dearborn. 
And I grew up right next to Dearborn, literally blocks away. And I saw the transition. Okay. There's a definite evangelical equivalent. If you look at John MacArthur and his mega church out in California, I guess the same thing with Jeffers. I mean, they're they're flaunting the, they're packing them in, 3,000 some people in there, no masks, no social distancing. And, you know, so they're kind of doing that same thing. And I guess people in, in the government there are kind of at a hard position there because, yeah, religious Why? freedom. Why? Why? I don't know. But we allow it. But we, we, being... we as a society, we allow it. We mm. allow the Orthodox Jews to skirt the law. And they basically are the law in Utah. And there's, there's, now here's a white Christian nationalist. Does that guy in um, state legislator in Washington that basically wants to carve out Eastern Washington is like Christiana. Yeah. Right. And yeah, makes right. it the 51st state. That's yep. white Christian nationalism. A lot of people in Idaho the same way. Those folks, totally white Christian nationalists. Proud boys, not so much. Oh, ab no, absolutely they are. White. They're not Christians. Okay. Again, Christian is in quotation marks. You're not you're not seeing me do the bunny ears in the air, obviously. <laughs> so to get maybe to get stuck on a word, why can't they why aren't they just white supremacist or white nationalist or or junior fascist? The whole Christian part is assigning beliefs to them that they don't share. No, it's not it's, it's not assigning beliefs. It's assigning the structure. I think Christian nationalist is too nice of a term. It, you know, somebody might go, oh, well, they like God and they and, and they love America. What's wrong with that? They, they can look at it that way. Where, how about, how about we stop calling them Christian nationalists and we start calling racist nationalists? Because there's some that, that, because it's more than that. It's, okay. it's more than about racism. That's what I'm saying. When you're, when you're pinning uh, the, the Proud Boys as a white supremacist group, yeah, that's uh, you know a segment of their structure, but it's a lot more than that. So we're looking for a word that encompasses the worst of all, and Christian is what we came up with. No, that's, that's no. the thing. Why give Christians this kind of additional power? Yeah, it seems like to me if somebody was Christian and some and they just heard the term Christian nationalist, they would think, oh, that's a good thing. Not not knowing what not knowing anything about it, not seeing a picture on the you know on the news or in the newspaper, but just given the term Christian nationalism. Oh, that, that sounds like that sounds like a wonderful thing. I, I'm all for it. Yeah, uh, Robert Jeffers would probably dig that because he thinks we are a Christian nation. So he would not call himself a Christian nationalist in a million billion years. But he would say, and he has every Fourth of July, we are a Christian nation. Yeah. It's the ism or the ist. They always have. But he would call himself a Christian and he would call himself a nationalist. He wouldn't call himself a Christian nationalist, though. Although, given the opportunity, he would be the first one that would institute Gilead. Right. And that's what I'm saying is, you know, you can't let these groups define them themselves. You have to look at what all they stand for, what all they accommodate. So, <laughs> you know, Jeffers Church accommodates a white nation because they don't want immigrants coming in. They want, you know, they don't believe in Black Lives Matter. They believe that women should not be in power. They believe that only straight sexuality is the norm. So there's that whole package. It's not just that they're white. And it's not just that they're supremacists. They're all these other things. And you could go through this. What if you believe those things and you're not Christian? You think putting it in quotes is, is enough? 
my point on on the quotations is they may not claim that that's where they got their ideology, but that's where it's rooted from, whether they know the history or not. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll grant that. But what is it now? It may be rooted in it, but I, 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 I'm hung up, obviously, and maybe we're hitting the one, you know, the magic mark where Don, you know, cuts us off. So maybe we should switch topics. But... Listeners are screaming at their phones. <laughs> Stop. Well, to me, I mean, the importance of this and this book that kind of is, is broadening this conversation is we forget about the American Christianity. You know, when it came over here from England, it was the state religion. Yeah. Okay, so they had control. When it got over here, it was create your own. That's And, you know, that's where evangelicalism was born in America. It's an American invention. And so that's where, you know, and that's where, you know, the Confederacy, where they, yeah. they said, you know, our God believes that blacks are inferior and we should be in charge of them. And, and this God believes that women are inferior and we should be in charge of them. Read the Bible. It, it's pretty obvious how God stands on women in slavery. To know that American Christianity, and I'll, I'll use that term, maybe that should be part of the title, American Christian nationalism, that yeah. form of Christianity is what's at, you know, the, the root of all this, the evil that we're seeing. Now, again, you know, there's, there's some mainline Christians and stuff that were, you know, like the William Barbers that we're on board with as far as uh, the social justice issues and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's important to kind of know, you know, where this all goes back to, that it wasn't anything that just sprung up. All of a sudden, Proud Boys just sprung up. There's a history. Yeah, there. right. There, there is a history there. But it doesn't seem to be the biggest thing that we face now. And there are enough issues with white supremacy and white nationalism and all these, you know, these difficult conversations, overarmed citizenry and paranoid conspiracy theories, and I'm more worried about religious zealotry overall than white Christian nationalism. I think that gives them more power now than they deserve. And inflating their influence is what they already do over our government. When I'm talking about the accommodators, you know, the, the ambassadors and then the accommodators, the people sitting in the pews at Robert Jeffers Church and John MacArthur's church, those people are accommodating. In other words, they're voting for Trump. And Trump is super accommodating, if not an ambassador for all the things that fall under white Christian no, nationalism. Not. Yes, he's, he is. No he's, no, he's not. He's an ambassador for him. Well, yeah, I, okay. He's a vessel. His administration, the administration that he's collected around him, the, the, uh, the DeVos, Betsy DeVos, the people that are taking down all these other... Pence. Pence. Barr. William Barr. Those are the people that actually believe this shit. Right, I understand what you're saying about Trump. I'm just yeah, saying... Trump, does, Trump doesn't believe any of this shit. He's playing yeah. them all for rubes. Some of them are playing him for the room. Both sides are playing each other. Yeah, I mean, if, if Trump died tomorrow and Pence took over, it'd be the same playbook. The only difference would be the guy in charge actually believes the bullshit. That's the difference between Pence and Trump. Right. He, he definitely is a white Christian nationalist. Yeah. No, no question. Who is? Pence. 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 I, I sure. can't help 
but draw a parallel with your, and I, I forget the terms, it was enablers. I, I want to keep calling them enablers. Ambassadors and what? Accommodators. What Accommodators. Accommodators. Right. I can't help but draw a parallel to Islam and Muslim terrorism. Yeah. Most Muslims are not far radical, you know, radicalized terrorist types. But the majority of Muslims that enable them to operate, I believe, is is the bigger issue. Right. Uh, yeah. I, the enablers are the, the bigger problem. The, the fringe, you're always going to have a fringe. But if you've got enough people that just go, eh. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Good example. There was a survey. I think Sam Harris talked about this one before about where they did a survey on all these Muslims and they asked them, you know, should a homosexual be put to death or should a um, uh, what's the word when they leave the religion? Apostasy. Apostate. What's the proper punishment for apostasy? Right, and they and they agreed since it says it in the Quran. Yeah, it's like that. It, it, it was by it, it was different by country. It was like right. I, now I, and they, I'm going to throw a country under the bus, and I don't know if it was. I want to say it was like Jordan or one of the, one of the countries there. It was like eighty percent said that death is the proper right. punishment for somebody that leaves Islam. You because leave the religion, you really, die. This this information is coming from Sam Harris. Oh, huh. no, no. It, Go no, figure. I, <laughs> Sam I, Harris. I, I know. Open-minded old Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, that's that's the point is would they do it? No. You know, would they do it to their own child? No. But the same thing, the, the same person that lives in Palestine who would not strap bombs to themselves and go blow themselves up in the middle of a market will take a picture of the person that did and will honor them by hanging it in their window of their shop. Or Okay. Uh, all right. The oh, oh, super oh. thin ice. Okay. Super thin ice on these analogies. Total point I'm trying to make is that the the and I keep calling them enablers because that's what they do. They enable well, the right, fringe right, to operate. Right. They give them if 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 thirty percent of the population wasn't okay with the tactics of a suicide bomber or the tactics of a proud boys type group in America, then those groups could not operate. Yeah, I don't. I well, okay. Let me let me toss out an equivalent, hmm. and then I'll let you. I'll let you. Okay. I'll let you unpack. So, uh, abortion clinics. Okay, so somebody that goes in and why don't we just just hit every third rail we can? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> But I mean, Let's talk so that's about kind weed of legalization for healthcare. Yeah, <laughs> but then okay, so somebody harms somebody that I'm not, you know, planted a bomb or or something less. I don't know, whatever. Okay, so people that are in the pews are going to say, "Oh, I wouldn't do that." But at the same time, they're going, "Yeah, well, you know, they abortion clinic shouldn't be there." So they're if that little hussy wasn't down there getting an abortion, she wouldn't have right. died. The ends justify the means. Absolutely right. What percentage of, I mean, there's no way, there's no way to know. I mean, there, there's no way to know. What do you mean? No what? No way to know how many people would actually believe that somehow murdering a doctor or a, or a worker or a, or a patient would be okay. That, I'm not, that, that's a fringe. I'm not saying okay, but it's their belief system that all abortions are against God's will. It's like they're voting for that. They're voting for Trump because he's put in this this person right. that's going to flip the also, court. There's also polls, and anybody that says don't don't believe polls, don't believe them. Say that sixty some or seventy percent of people say Roe should be law of the land. Yeah. 
So most Americans, if you believe that polling, are okay with the idea of that level of choice. So it is a fringe that would believe the hardest core of what you're describing. And you're always going to find you're always going to find a fringe. We use Tom as our average devout evangelical. Whipping boy would be a good term. Well, he's like a he's almost like a persona. When you're at a business and you've got this guy's a a single business owner or this is a mom of two. John Q customer. Yeah, like we have six different personas and this is how we this is how we're going to we're going to communicate or focus our efforts towards this you know, kind of generically specific group. Tom is that guy for us. He is he is a persona. I mean, he's a person, obviously. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. But there is a persona kind of attached to him. For for this, for the purposes of this podcast, we need to expand so we don't think, Tom doesn't think we're picking at him all the time because we're not. But Tom is quite devout and admittedly evangelical. And what's the other one? Is, is, be, is apologetic? Is that... Is that a thing or is that a belief? Like, is he an apologetic apologist? I don't. I, no. I, well, you but, like part of being an evangelical is to learning a certain amount of apologetics in order to be it. able to engage. Yeah. But yeah, I've I've talked to Tom enough that although Tom may not be an apologist himself, he's listened to enough apologists in the past that he can oh, regurgitate yeah. their. I'm going to say bullshit back at people. Well, and that's, that's <laughs> part of the... He would probably use a different term, but okay. Yeah, he would, yeah he absolutely, Tom. Would, hi, Tom. He would absolutely <laughs> use a different term. Evidence, evidence. But I mean, that's that's part of evangelizing is knowing how to, you know, have a debate, right? Yes, yes. So I lost your point there, though. Well, Tom is not going to advocate for the murder of abortion. We can't... I don't think it's fair to apply the worst of a group as somehow the norm. No, no. So he's not an ambassador. He'd no, be an not, accommodator. not Tom. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the people that would be okay with killing people at abortion clinics. That's the fringe of a fringe. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. So they, they so it's a bad example to use them as as an example because mm-hmm. it's that it's like the worst of atheists that are that are mean and bitter and you know just want to insult people. But to use the Michigan militia example, okay, so there's a ton of people in Michigan that would not join a militia no matter what. But there's a bunch of Trump voters in Michigan that are going, yeah, our our Democratic governor needs to get out of there. I mean, she's obstructing our freedoms and, you know, we don't want to wear a mask. So they would accommodate. They're not going to they're not going to support the militia, they're going to say, that's wrong. But at the same time, they're supporting Trump, who is creating these or giving a voice to these militias. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an accommodation. So they're part of that's that's the whole thing here is is there's a lot of people that are, you know, kind of appearing to be sitting on the sidelines that are feeding the flames. It's easy to say that these are easily the people that Trump's dog whistles are aimed directly at his when asked to t- to ask supremacists to stand down. He said, stand back and stand by. Didn't say stand down. There's a there's a big difference between stand down and stand by. You know, th- those are two completely different concepts. But 
The no, people that he was back. talking to absolutely got the message. Yeah, I mean, and he still continues to have the support. I mean, it looks, you know, the national absolutely. surveys are... If right, you're in yeah, a fringe I mean, group and you think that the president is talking to you in code, then you're absolutely going to support him. But I'm talking about the voters. In other words, okay. you haven't seen a huge erosion of his base going, oh, that's a line too far. You don't know. So, well, we don't you know don't yet. Know. We know by the polls, but yeah, right. But as a smart person said at the beginning of this podcast... <laughs> Wait a second. There's no smart people on this podcast. Who, who that said is something? a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. Did somebody but, say something smart by mistake? <laughs> I, somebody email us. <laughs> Godless <laughs> at yahoo.com if we said anything intelligent. In a non-collapsed society, we would find out on November 3rd. But now that elections themselves are now fair game. Yeah. And anything is possible in order to, you know, maintain power. It's hard to know if how many people really do really do believe that. Because I think in a normal election, my gut and that's that's all it's worth, just one guy's opinion, is that he would be he would be crushed. Yeah. I think what he's looking for is a repeat of Bush Gore and let it go to the court that he packed and let them decide. I think that's what he's looking for. Instead of just in one state, they're going to make it more difficult everywhere. I even read an article about how the Republicans are looking at now installing their own electors. They're not proposing it. It's being discussed behind closed doors to do this. as a possibility. So... That if you've got a Republican governor and a Republican-controlled legislature in the state, no matter what the vote is, no matter what the popular vote is in, in like Georgia or Illinois or anywhere, the governor and, and the legislature can install Republican electors to vote for Trump no matter what the, uh, the popular vote was. I mean, to, to me, those people are as bad as the Proud Boys and the Michigan militia. They're, yeah, exactly. They're just trying to do it through the court system instead of at the end of the barrel well, of a gun. And That's a court system difference. that has played the game to install people that will tilt it to their favor. So that's all part of this Christian nationalism. It is not. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> it is, it is not. Poke the bear. I thought, we were, I thought we were almost at recommendations. And you then did we that on purpose. Yeah. I, I will, you know what, I will, uh, you know, and hopefully there won't be a part two, but I will be ready for it though. Okay. If there is. All right. Um, so, Jerry, but, you need read the book, and then let's have let's have a discussion. That's just an. Ex I just fell into the trap of having to read one of your books. God. Yep. Um, yep. That was nice. That was nice. That was a good trap. He. It was. He, he laid and leaves I, and, and twigs it. over it. You didn't even see it. You walked right but up I'm to a, it. Boom. Fell. I'm an atheist, so I'm already not that smart. Apparently. <laughs> I got two recommendations. What you got? They are articles in Medium written by a guy who grew up in Sri Lanka. After a long and bloody civil war. The first one is called, I Lived Through Collapse. America is already there. And basically, what he is saying is a societal collapse is not some movie where there's a moment where everybody goes, shit, everything collapsed. Yeah. It's a slow motion, don't you know, almost like a geological movement where things move so slowly 
you don't really recognize them. I mean, we recognize them. We, we don't see it as that. Hmm. There's a great line in this. If you're waiting for a moment where you're like, this is it, I'm telling you, it never comes. Nobody comes on TV and says, things are officially bad. There's no launch party for decay. It's just a pileup of outrages and atrocities in between friendships and weddings and perhaps an unusual amount of alcohol. And that is America in 2020. It is a fascinating article that totally encapsulates how I feel because I do feel we have slipped way beyond this whole idea of American ex exceptionalism is still kind of holding us to us thinking everything is as good as it used to be. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons, unfortunately, MAGA was such an effective uh, marketing slogan. Because it, it could mean anything to anybody. But at its heart, it is the America that I miss. Yeah. We're coming back to it. Whatever the good old days for you used to be, that's where we want to take it back to. Yeah, Pretty Christian much. America. Yeah. Christian America. I'm sorry. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to take about five quick seconds and just point out how stupid I am. I just now learned that Sri Lanka and Madagascar are not the same pieces of land, just different names. I thought it was like a Istanbul, Constantinople kind of a thing that it used to be called Madagascar, and now it's called Sri Lanka? No. And, one's off the coast of India, one's off the coast of Africa, completely different pieces of land, and I learned something tonight. And like we said, atheists, not that smart. Not that fucking smart, no. <laughs> but we're catching on, we're learning. <laughs> so there is, there is a follow-up that is, uh, as he says, only marginally less depressing. It's called Collapse Takes a Lifetime. America is just getting started. The best is yet to come. I, I believe this. The, the expectation that this election is going to hugely change things if no. Biden wins is 100% misguided. And anybody that thinks that needs to reset their expectations and not yes. be super disappointed that things really don't change. The whole point of this article is that it is over for us, for our generation, because it's never going back. And everything we do should be for our kids to make sure that it gets back to that by the time they're adults. For their kids. Absolutely. It's not going to change anytime soon. I don't think our generation has grasped that at all. We don't want to believe that. No. And yeah, why I would you? Yeah. And seriously, why, like, why would you? Why would the what's in it for me generation care about, you know, two generations down the line? Yeah, that's that's not a human yeah. strong point. That right That's going to take a, a paradigm shift. Well, I think the the other point that we that we kind of miss, too, is this. And I'm going to use the term nationalism has been going on for decades. In other words, Republicans have had all the pieces in the of the puzzle in their Favor. They had a strategy. They they built up a you know the different groups that were going to enable this, and the Democrats were totally oblivious to it. They concentrated on the judiciary and the school boards. Yeah, I mean the Catherine Stewart book, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of her book, but we need to get her on the on the podcast. But I mean, she kind of pointed out, and I've seen I've read other books about that too. This has been a long 
long-term strategy. And we've been just going on about our business, thinking it's not going on, not knowing it's going on. So um, that's where I understand what you're saying, Jerry, is for us to think that it's going to turn on a dime, that once once Biden's in there, it's going to go all back to normal. November 4th. No. Right no. back to normal. Uh, Mm. Yeah, I mean, it'll happen. be a little... Yeah, but, but are you honestly ready, like seriously, to really live your life to know that it's not going to get better in your lifetime and that you're going to have to sacrifice or or suffer somehow or put something on the line that you normally would have not have had to do in order to help a generation you will not be around to help? I think you could almost argue that every generation prior to us have, has done that to some extent. And why are we any you know, special that, that we can't do the same thing? Because in our case, what's the tangible thing? In World War II, you went to yeah. war for the, for the good of the world. Nobody got a new car for four years because all the metals got to go to make tanks and planes. All kind, yeah, yeah. Like, everybody's all, got, all everybody's of, got to suffer. Everybody's had to give up way, a little we something. Thought, we thought women were, were great when they were building the yeah. B-17 bombers. Rosie Riveter. And the dudes came back and said, GTFO. Yeah. Yep. Back to the yep. kitchen. Back to the yep. kitchen. But, Take your shoes then, off. Yeah. You know, the wars slowly got less noble. Mm-hmm. Korea, Vietnam. And then you could say the boomers or some boomers, their contribution was fighting against Vietnam. What's ours? It should be climate change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not because we don't have anything to protest. No, the thing, we have too many things to protest. I mean, that's the thing. It becomes overwhelming as you just get, ex- you know, mentally fatigued by knowing, you know, there's all these different battles out there that yeah. we should be fighting. But how do you, how do you do it. How do you do a protest for climate change when you need to do a protest against mask wearing or whatever? Plus, you, you've raised a whole generation to have a three-minute attention span. Sure, but we'll bash technology on the next Godless Evening podcast. <laughs> As we always do. <laughs> you got any recommendations, Jeff? Yeah, they got to be better than that one. Other than the book itself. Other than the book itself. No, that's, that's I'm, I'm highly suggesting, you know, and, and then... You know, let's have a conversation on, you know, the Twitter or whatever, you know, Facebook. Your social but, media of choice. Yep. Tell me I'm I'm washed up. You know, that's fine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Email us. Tell us why Jeff's wrong, you know, or or yeah. tell us why Jeff's right and, and, and everybody else is wrong. I got a, I got a quick one. It's, it's oddly enough, another show available on HBO Max. This is a BBC production. The name of it was changed when when HBO Max picked it up for US release. It's the name of it is The Murder at White House Farm and it's a six-part mini series, just one season, six one-hour episodes, you're done. And it is about a really famous murder in Britain back in the mid-80s. I'd never heard of uh, of the case, but apparently this is like one of the most famous murder cases in Britain. Like if you lived in Britain, if you grew up in Britain, you know about the White House farm murders in the 1980s. It's, it's almost like the, the Manson murders uh, of the 70s in America. It's just, it's, it's kind of cooked into, in, into the, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. But it, everybody in Britain into the knows cake. about it. Baked into the cake. It's baked into the cake. Absolutely. But I highly recommend it. It's 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 not very action filled. It, it's it, it's slow, but it's plot driven. 
but but very very well well made and and really enjoyed it. Hey, just think, October we're only scratching the surface. We're going to have one more before the election. I I believe that's right. This episode will drop on the 11th. Our next episode will drop on the 25th. And a week after that episode is election uh, is election week. That's scary, scary, scary. Yeah, it drops, and and then literally a couple of days after that is the election. Anybody, any listener in Cobb County this weekend, if somebody's coming to your porch in the rain with a plastic bag full of Democratic campaign material, it could be me. Don't, Don't shoot. shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. I will be wearing a mask. There is nothing in there but thing, reasons to tell you to vote and to help you vote. Le- allow me to live long enough to where I can vote. Thank you, good armed people of Cobb County. If you live in Cobb County, put some cookies out on your front porch for Jerry, just in case. It's like Santa Claus. Just put some cookies out just in case he comes that, You know what? And as even with my sweet tooth, I would worry. Yeah. Might be a razor blade in there. Yeah. I would worry. Yeah. <laughs> Roofy chocolate chip. No, thank you. There you go. <laughs> well, on that note, we will see y'all in two weeks. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care now. Someone at the party and the devil is my friend and the devil is my friend.